0: Sometimes after worship, there are a couple things that happen that you may or may not be aware of, and so I'm going to pull back the curtain here. Uh, Number one, if my glasses fog up, that tends to tell me, okay, wow, we've been working really hard up here. Uh, at this whole worship thing, but the other part of that is I'm wondering sometimes if worship is maybe like Pilates, and we should actually have a cool-down period afterwards. So that's what you just experienced, okay? you talking to your neighbor and saying, hi, that was the cool-down period, and now we're going to start to exercise again. Um, (laughs) We made it to December, and for some of us, we're like, hey, I made it to the end of the year, and for some of us, we're like, ah, it's the end of the year. How did this happen, right? You're usually in one of those two camps. If you're the child, You're like, yay, we finally made it to the end of the year. And if you're the parent, you're like, ah, how did this happen? How did this get here so fast? Where's all the money going to come from for Christmas, right? Like, that's, yeah. So this season has a lot of memories attached to it uh, for everyone, regardless of, I think, your background. Uh, And depending on what your background is, it's likely a mix. It's probably a mix of maybe happy things and maybe melancholy things. It's just another word for sad, in case you don't know. Um, Traditions and things that only come around this time of year, which are fun, right? Usually we like to celebrate those things. But along with that come challenges, too. Uh, A couple of those might be missing somebody that you loved in this season um, or struggling with depression. Sometimes a season of celebration for some people will usher in a season of of depression as well. And so as the end of the year approaches, we can often feel like, we're on a course to collide with something, or a collision course. Uh, a collision of maybe the fun and the stress. And so if you are someone that keeps a home and you've ever invited people into your home for something, then you know what that means. Like you are preparing for fun, but everything leading up to fun is stress. Or maybe a collision of joy, but also a collision of sadness too, because you're missing people. Or maybe a collision of like love, the people that you love surrounding you, but then also the struggle of people you love surrounding you. You know what I'm saying, right? When people come in. And so there are a lot of collisions, a lot more collisions that await us in this season. But I don't think that we should be surprised by that. And that's really what I want to talk about today, this collision of opposites. In fact, I think that that's actually one of the things uh, that makes the story of Jesus so compelling, because the story of Jesus is wonderful. It's this wonderful collision of opposites. You have heaven meeting earth. You have God colliding with man. You have spirit made flesh. You have good triumphing over evil, right? Like, and those are just a few that I can think of. I could go on, but it's for this very reason that I want to take the next few weeks and just kind of maybe try to reframe how we think about this season of Christmas, Uh, And really, that idea of taking a moment and stepping back and reframing is all of what Advent is about. And if you're not familiar, Advent literally means coming. And so, what that is for us is each Christmas, we celebrate the Advent or the coming of our Lord by retelling the story of Emmanuel, God with us. The I am becoming flesh and dwelling among his people. Jesus as the fulfillment, guys, of so many promises in Scripture And many promises that have yet to be fulfilled, too. And so, as this season approaches, what we most of us probably imagine is something like this. Maybe not in pastel colors, but we imagine a nativity, right? We imagine the nativity scene. And if you're unfamiliar, like if you're here today and you're like, I don't even know this story, I'm unfamiliar. Um, And some of you might say, well, that seems odd that someone wouldn't know the story. But the truth is, I've been surprised often with how many people maybe have never heard this story. And so if you're unfamiliar with how this went down, we invite you to join us on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. when we will retell this whole story uh, through special service of readings and, f- and through worship. But guys, Advent is about so much more than baby Jesus, okay? It's about way more than baby Jesus. It's way more than uh, Charlie Brown trying to find the Christmas tree for the gang. It's about way more than Heat Miser and Snow Miser. Like, it's about way more than all those things. Advent has come to mean anticipation. Anticipation as we wait for what God has promised. Because the arrival of Messiah was just the beginning of that promise. And so let me ask you a question. Have you ever been promised something wonderful? Anyone? Yes? No? No? Does someone ever promise you something wonderful? Like maybe uh, a date night. Like, oh, we're going to go out because, you know, we haven't been out for five years since we had kids, so it's time. It's like, all right, cool, that's awesome. So maybe that's the promise. Or maybe the promise was a vacation somewhere that you always wanted to visit. That's a pretty good promise. Or maybe it was a gift as a child that you were really, really wanting or something that you were hoping for that you, wouldn't, you thought you would probably never get. Um, one year... And my mom will remember the story. By the way, I don't know if I've actually said this or not. My mom actually goes to church here now, which is pretty cool. Jean Brown, you need to make sure you meet her afterwards. She's an amazing lady, um, and all the weirdness with me, she's not responsible for that part. So, um, so one year. I was promised a bike for my birthday. And the way that this all happened was my neighbor had a bike and I started riding it around the neighborhood. I don't know if he said, hey, yeah, you can ride it. Like, he probably meant once. But I was riding it a lot. And so it came to this point where that was sort of starting to get uncomfortable, you know. It's like, yeah, I would like to actually ride my own bike now, please. It's like, okay, sure, that's cool. So uh, my mom and dad said, yeah, we'll get you a new bike for your birthday. And so the weeks leading up to that, I'm sure that I drove my parents crazy. Like, oh, I can't wait to get this bike. It's going to be so awesome. I get to actually go to the store and pick it out myself it's going to be amazing I'm like looking through the Sears catalog at the different bikes that are there thinking oh this one would be cool this one would be cool like just you know how it is right like you're just excited and it's awesome you've been promised something and you were waiting for it and so leading up to that day I remember we got in the car it was my mom and my sister Jackie and I and we went down to the venture store that no longer exists at North Oak and Vivian and we walk in there to their immense bike section right and so I'm walking through the toys, and I'm really getting distracted because they had lots of really cool stuff that I wanted, but I am, I am focused, I'm determined. I'm headed to the bikes. And so we go back to the bikes, and there it is. All black. The Huffy Bandit. Right? Now, there's a few things that you need to realize here with the Huffy Bandit. Number one, smoking the Bandit was, like, huge at that point. So anything called Bandit was just kind of automatically cool with kids. Okay, like, okay, he drives a really cool car. I mean, like, yeah. It's black. It even the letters are gold, just like on this, like, that's awesome. And then maybe this is just me, but uh, it was a BMX bike, but the seat on it was kind of shaped like a coffin, which I just thought was really cool as a kid. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I have to have that bike. And so my mom bought the bike for me. We took it home. As you know, my birthday's in December. And so, like, I didn't care. I'm riding this bike right now. I'm going outside, and so I remember it riding up and down the street on that bike, freezing. Right, like oh, I gotta ride this bike. This is awesome. Right, I was in, I was all in until finally I couldn't feel my hands, and then I went inside for a while. It was too cold to continue. But the point is this: when somebody promises you something, and you know that promise is coming, and you have to wait for that promise to finally arrive, what happens? You get antsy, especially if you're a kid, but I think adults do too. Like you can see it in your coworkers when they know they're about to go on vacation. Like there's I just cannot focus on this computer, right? Spreadsheets, ah! Right? We're all like that. We get antsy, we're excited because something is on the way that we are really excited about. There's a promise that's about to be fulfilled, and we are all in. And when something good has been promised, we want it now. I want it now. Out, right you guys remember <laughs> we really don't like to wait but the honest truth is most of the best things in our lives the waiting is part of what makes them so good yeah, right. and so a long time ago god made this promise to his people israel he's like listen In fact, you know what, he made a bunch of promises to them, but the most important promise, the promise above all other promises, the promise that every one of the other promises depended on was this, listen, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send you a Messiah, the anointed one who would save you from all of the difficulties that you've had from living your lives in a world filled with sin, a world broken by sin. And most of us know that story, right? The Messiah wasn't just this ordinary person, but he was also God's own son. And you may have heard of another character in that story of Jesus, John the Baptist, right? And when we imagine him, we always imagine him as the dude in the weird leather underwear out in the middle of the river, you know, hanging out with Jesus as he's immersed, and and God gives his blessing on him as he starts his ministry. But what's really cool is that John's involvement in the story actually dates back to the very beginning, When John the Baptist was born, his father, Zechariah, he was the chief priest at that time, and he recognized something was happening, and it was different than anything that had ever happened before, that all of those years of waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and is this it? No, waiting, and waiting, all of those years were about to be finally over. And somehow God gave him this special understanding that his son, John, was going to prepare the way for that promised Messiah. And so Zechariah celebrated that God was about to fulfill his promise. And here's what he said. This is in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 and 69. Zechariah said this, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. This promise, guys, of Messiah runs throughout the Bible from beginning to end. It's the thread that connects everything. And there's just a handful of verses up there, but there are so many more. God made this promise to his people, but they had to wait. And in that waiting, what they had to do was this. They had to put all of their faith in God, the one who had made the promise. And that promise put them and put us on a collision course with God, anticipating the arrival of Messiah. And I love to look at definitions. And so we're going to look at the definition of collision. Here's what it is. A collision is an act or instance of colliding. It's an encounter between particles such as atoms or molecules resulting in an exchange or transformation of energy. If you don't know what colliding is, to collide is to come together with a solid or a direct impact. Recently, we had our annual men's retreat at God's Mountain Camp, and they had this gym there, right? And they had this equipment in it so that you could play sort of a game of street hockey. I mean, there were hockey sticks, and there were nets, uh, but because it's a men's retreat, no one wore any protective equipment of any kind, right? It was totally old school, no bikes or the helmets at this men's retreat, except for Jeremy, for good reason, right? But when it came to hockey, no. And so, I present to you the highlight reel from the D.C. Hockey Club. this is planned right building up your faith right now something collided back there I think there's our logo (gasps) we are a well oiled machine It is. You're going to love this. (laughs) Well, that's the next step if this doesn't work. Told you it was worth the wait. I would have just gone on, but and I made it long on purpose, just because. Wow, you had to see that. So there are two reasons I wanted you to see that. Number one, I wanted you to understand that some of you have drastically underestimated how fast some of our elders can move. Um, <laughs> but there's another reason that I wanted to show you that, and it's this: when you collide with something, you never forget it. And let me tell you, some of those guys didn't forget it for a couple of weeks after all that stuff. When you run into a wall or to a floor, or to a person at full speed. You're going to remember that maybe forever, actually, right? So, now back to what we're talking about here. That's the whole point of Jesus, guys. The whole point of Jesus is that once we collide with him, it changes us permanently in a good way, right? Not in the bruising and the busted up and all the stuff that maybe we've heard in the past, but when we encounter Jesus and we collide with him, it is a change that should transform us forever. It's the beginning of something completely different. Heaven meeting earth for our salvation is this beautiful collision, and it is the hope of Advent. It's the hope. Every year, Advent is this opportunity that we have to share in the anticipation of our Messiah. Remembering the thousands of years that God's people longed for the coming of salvation. In the words of Franciscan priest and author Richard Rohr, Advent and Christmas are not about a sentimental waiting for the baby Jesus. The manger is cute, guys, and it's endearing, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating that. I think that that's fine. The birth of our Savior is something that's worth celebrating, but we have to remember Jesus is no longer a baby. He grew up to become a man that lived a perfect life in the eyes of the Father, and then he gave up that life on our behalf to fulfill the promise of one who would make a way for us to again have eternal life and relationship with God. Advent is the time that we focus our expectation and our anticipation on the adult Christ, the cosmic Christ. And you're like, cosmic? What? Why would you use that word? Listen, John 1, 14, Messiah who is God's word made flesh. What's that about? Who will return to gather his disciples? Matthew 24, what would that look like? Or how about who is holy, Lord God, ruler of all, who was, is, and evermore shall be? And that's a song that's being sung right now around the throne by all manner of beings and creatures. That's pretty cosmic, Revelation 1, and you should take the time to read those passages in their surrounding context because there's stuff that's happening there that is far, like far outpaces the imaginations of Stanley, Jack Kirby, or any guy you want to throw in the hat right there, okay? We're talking cosmic. And the very name of Jesus in Hebrew pronounced Yeshua means salvation. So for those of us who have accepted that salvation, we are now disciples of the Messiah he challenges us. He challenges us to empty ourselves, to lose ourselves, and to surrender to him, our very lives. And as disciples, we are commanded to be ready and to be watchful for his return. And so what this is, it's a simultaneous state of anticipation and preparation that we call hope. And when you hear the word hope, you might be tempted to think, that that's the same thing as optimism. You know, somebody that's optimistic would be looking forward to every situation, only seeing the best outcome, right? An optimist, and we all maybe have, maybe you are an optimist or maybe you have an optimist that's in your life, but they just look at the circumstances that are ahead and only see the way that they could work out for the best. But as we've been studying now, guys, for about three months, biblical hope is never focused on circumstance, One of the things that encourages me in the Bible is that the people that are there are real people. Real people that I can identify with because even their questions and their doubts are on full display as they wrestle with waiting. They wrestle with it. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize that there is no immediate evidence that things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Human beings, guys, are fickle. We're forgetful. Uh, We can often take the Janet Jackson attitude of what have you done for me lately, right? Ooh, yeah. That's us. We're easily distracted. Squirrel, right? Like I just demonstrated. See? See what I did there? We do, we're fickle, we're forgetful. We take this attitude that we just want what's next. What's next, God? What are you gonna do next? What's the next thing? Listen, he's already promised us what's next and that's why it's important for us to look back and to remember what God has not only done in our lives but the lives of his people. And frankly, that's why looking at scripture and reading and studying scripture is so important for us. We have to dig in there and we have to be transformed by that word but part of what that word does is it tells us, listen, we've been here before. You're not alone. This isn't the first time that something like this has happened. And throughout this whole thing, God has been there and he is faithful from beginning to end. We see this over and over again in scripture. Many of those major characters have moments where they face this challenge and they look back at this promise or a time when God provided to remember what he has done. Professor Tim Mackey of the Bible Project sums it up this way, and this is great. I think it's fantastic. He says, It's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. When we hope, we're trusting in someone. We're not trusting in providence or luck or for everything to break our way or to go the very best. We're trusting in God's character. And the author of Psalm 39 wrestled with this idea, the idea of living upright for God while all of the world around him seemed to be going to pot and like focused on uh, wealth and power and basically exalting themselves. Wealth and power to secure their own futures. And here's what the psalmist says in 39.7. And now, o Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. So let me ask you, where's your hope today? Is it in your job? Is it in your home? Maybe your hope today has been in your relationships or your retirement plan. As we all know, none of those things are ultimately secure. The only true security that we have is placing our trust and our hope In God, because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we hold in our hands something that's way greater than optimism. We hold hope in our hands. Peter called this collision with Christ a living hope. The impact of this advent causes us to be reborn into new and different people. People who live present but look forward in anticipation. People who look forward in hope based on Jesus what he has done, but also, guys, what he will do. Because he will return. He will not be a baby that time. He will come as a king. So the hope we hold is long established. as We wait for all of creation to be rescued and restored from evil and death once and for all. And in Hebrews 6, the author doubles down on this promise in an effort to remind us of this stability that we find in Jesus. And so he starts out, and it's kind of hard to understand, so I'm going to spell out the beginning for you, and then we'll read a little bit of it. But he starts out by saying that God desired to more convincingly remind us of the unchangeable character of his purpose. So he guaranteed it with an oath. And just in case, he says, you're wondering if you can trust this, God's track record speaks for itself, right? If you look at scripture, his track record is wonderful. Regarding the Messiah, as if that wasn't enough... God not only makes this promise here, but he also swears an oath. And here's the reason that he does that. In the Near Eastern culture, uh, often you would go to places and you would be representing someone. And so maybe uh, you would make a promise to someone. You'd be like, you know, it could be, we're going to give you some land uh, in exchange for some grain or different things, right? They'd be working together. And so you would go to that person and you would make a promise. But then on top of that promise, like if they really needed you to confirm that, you would swear an oath. And what you would do is you would swear that oath on the name. Name of someone that was greater than you. And so often it was on the king or on the emperor or whoever you happen to be representing. So if you're going into this other country, you know, I swear an oath on the name of the guy that sent me that if I don't come through on this promise, he will back me up. And so that's how contracts would often work in the Near East. And basically that king or that emperor would be responsible to uphold whatever you agreed to if you died or if you didn't keep your word. And so here, given all that information, the Lord is saying, listen, I guarantee this. I swear this oath on my solid record and my impeccable character. My promises always come true. And so here it is. It's in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for a refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that's set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, in Jesus, our souls are secure. Yeshua did the work of salvation to make a way to the Father for us. And Jesus is the eternal anchor of hope that we can tether ourselves to. Regardless of our circumstances, God says, I will keep my promises. But they all start with Jesus. So we have to hold fast to him. So with this advent collision, we hold on to hope. We choose to wait in anticipation for a God who has promised us something Something wonderful, guys. Something wonderful to come to the rest of that promise. Would you bow your hearts with me? I want you to just take a second now, and I want you to think about your life. Think about where you're at right now. Maybe even this week that's passed. What things jump out and get your attention? What things stand above the others? And then I want to ask, where's your trust? One way to know that is to consider where most of your time and your energy and your resources go. But the only thing that we can trust in is Yeshua, our salvation. Is Jesus the anchor of your soul today? And if he's not, he can be. It's simple. It's just acknowledging your sin and your need for salvation and then asking forgiveness. And that's something you can do right where you're at right now. And scripture says in that moment, you become a new creation. You're changed. That collision makes you different. So I'm going to wait just a second and give you an opportunity to do that if you wish, to make that real, to acknowledge your sin, your need for salvation, and to ask God for forgiveness. Jesus is the reason for the season but this is right where it all starts a life of discipleship following Jesus and turning from our old ways of living to new way of living hopeful and maybe you're here today and Jesus is your anchor but you struggle to hope i want you to know this morning that you too can hit that reset button and find hope in him so If you're struggling today with anything, I want you to know that he can be the hope and the anchor. And it's not some hollow promise. It's holding on to what's real and authentic in the midst of whatever comes. Father God, we love you and I thank you so much for all the people who call this place their home and their community. And I thank you, God, for the anchor of your son that you gave us, the link between you and us, the invitation for us to come into your presence as your sons and your daughters cleansed from all sin. Holy and righteous in your sight. Sometimes, Father, I know it's something that I take for granted, that gift that's been offered to me ever since I was a child. But God, I know that there's so many that need to know the truth of who you are and how much you love and how much you desire just to have that relationship with each one of your sons and daughters, with every one of the men and women that you've created on this planet. And so Father, I pray that you would use each of the people that are here in this building and those that call this their community that may not be here today to bring people into you they will come to know the truth of your love and your forgiveness. That they could be freed from bondage. That weights of shame and guilt could be lifted from their lives. That they would find hope in you. And God, for anyone who's here today that may be struggling with something heavy or hard or difficult, I just pray for just this flooding of your spirit, your Holy Spirit into their hearts and their lives, God that you would be the constant voice in their hearts and their minds that you would be constantly whispering i love you i'm with you i'm faithful hope in me and god as we go from this place today i pray that you'd help us notice all of the areas and the moments and the little things that we may overlook, the places where you are constantly colliding with our world. And I pray that those two things would come together. That you could use us in that same way in the lives of others. We love you, and we thank you. And all this is in your name.